Hi, and welcome. I'm Jim Fries, and this is The Conversation, a podcast airing viewpoints on the impact of artificial intelligence on business and society. The Conversation is presented by Interactions, a conversational AI company that builds intelligent virtual assistants capable of human-level communication and understanding. In this episode, We'll discuss the emergence and evolution of social robots. They're autonomous robots designed to interact and communicate with humans. Join us as we dive into the development and status of this futuristic technology. We're going to uncover how folks in the social robotic space address the fact that their technology is, to some people, a little jarring, maybe even creepy. To help us understand the ins and outs of social robots, we're joined by Gabriel Skansa, a professor in speech communication and technology at KTH Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm. Gabriel is also the co-founder and chief scientist at Fur Hat Robotics, a company that creates social robots. Gabriel, welcome to the conversation. Thank you very much. Fur Hat is a social robot that displays human-like gestures and emotions, even complex expressions. It comes with a selection of pre-built expressions and gestures, which can be further customized to fit any character. And its face can be configured in several ways to create unique identities with their own personalities and quirks. Could you start off and just give us a quick history of social robots? Uh, yes, of course, social robots in general, I think that's something that uh, people have dreamed of for a very long time. People have been trying to build out automatas and, and uh, social robots, but it's only sort of recently that it's actually been possible to, to build something that is, is actually useful, uh, I would say. And that's, of course, much thanks to the advancement in speech recognition and computer vision and so on that, that makes this possible. How did you initially get involved in this space? Yeah, so actually my background is in uh, conversational systems, more like speech-based systems. I've done research on this for almost 20 years now. And uh, of course, we also worked with, with animated agents on screens that you could interact with. But there was always sort of something lacking there. And I think it was this feeling of presence that you have with another person. So if you're talking to, to uh, an animated agent on a screen, it's, it's kind of like talking to someone over Skype, which is obviously not the same thing as talking to someone sitting next to you in a room. So taking that leap from this animated agent on a screen to a physical robot is like going from a Skype video interaction to uh, meeting someone physically. And of course, people often prefer that. I mean, they often might be willing to travel long distances and, and pay money and so on to actually meet physically in person. And I think the same thing goes with virtual agents or, or agents that we interact with. So it sounds like your background really kind of had a direct impact on the creation of Furhat. Absolutely. And also, I think most people working on robotics or that comes into the social robotics area comes with a robotics background. So they are thinking about mechatronics and uh, how to make this robot move. So that's kind of a different angle than me and my colleagues had when we were thinking about the actual interaction, that that is sort of the, the focus. And then we think that this physical appearance of the robot helps the interaction. It sort of enhances the interaction, but it's the interaction with the human uh, is in focus. Interesting. So I have to ask, because I'm a marketing guy, I'm always interested how companies uh, get their name. So fur hat, quite literally, it means a hat made of fur. <laughs> Can you tell us about the origins of the fur hat brand? So we started this, in a, we were researchers uh, eight years ago, and we're working on, on this first prototype of what we thought a robot head should be like. So we were using the uh, animation technology 
uh, projecting it from behind on a transparent uh, mask. So you could actually project this animation of a face instead of using mechatronics. When when you're doing that, of course, this uh, it was a lot of things sticking out from the head uh, with a little projector in there and so on to sort of cover it all up. We found this fur hat lying around that some master thesis student had <laughs> forgotten. So we, we were invited to exhibit the robot at the London Science Museum. People really liked the fact that it was wearing a fur hat. <laughs> and uh, so we sort of thought that that was a really nice thing that made our robot different from other robots from a marketing perspective, so to speak. Also, robots is something that you associate with something cold and hard. And a fur hat is furry. So you sort of get this soft feeling, this fun sort of feeling about it also. How did you and your co-founders go about deciding the particular appearance and design, and, and how has it evolved? Yeah, so actually, it was kind of a side effect. Since we thought that we wanted this uh, to base it on animation instead of mechatronics, we thought that we could do much more powerful facial gestures and expressions, and we could do more accurate lip movements and so on that you don't find in mechatronic robot faces, really. Uh, things moving in the face all the time, that is very hard to do. But it sort of had this side effect that since you are projecting the face anyway, you could actually project any face and you can change the animation in the middle of the interaction if you would, would like to. Uh, you can make the robot look like a male or female or even a dog or some character we sort of realized that this is actually extremely powerful. Most social platforms, they have decided on a persona for the robot, a fixed persona, which comes with a physical design. Whereas we can actually make it have any persona that would fit the interaction, because also Furhat is, is a platform that you're supposed to use for different types of interactions. So if you imagine a robot working in a bank, for example, you might want to have a more serious uh, impression. Whereas if it's working in a, in a theme park with kids, you might want to have something more fun. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I can totally relate to that when I think about what we do at Interactions with our intelligent virtual assistants. Because one of the things we do working with our customers is we talk about the importance of that virtual assistant having a persona. And now, uh, along with that, come some issues that, that we see. And I'm, I'm curious if you see them as well. I recently watched a video produced by Bloomberg that features your robots. In the video, they talk about the uncanny valley, the idea that when humans encounter a robot or a computer interface that looks real, but not quite real enough, we as humans get a little queasy, uh, might even think of it as a little creepy. We're familiar with that concept at interactions. You know, we're an AI company and we recognize the importance of figuring out where the creepy line is and when AI crosses it. Towards that, that point in 2018, we actually worked with uh, the Harris Poll to survey over 2,000 consumers and found that 40% of them find it more creepy than helpful when an AI-powered customer service agent sounds or interacts like a human, but doesn't notify the caller that it's a virtual assistant. For that reason, you know, we believe that companies using AI-powered virtual assistants should never attempt to mislead the consumer into thinking it's an actual person. So with social robots, AI-powered robots that are purposely designed to mimic human behavior, how do you address and navigate the uncanny valley? Yeah, that, that's, that's a very important issue, of course. I think there are different types of, of problems involved here. One is, of course, if you only have a voice, since speech synthesis is so good uh, nowadays, you might mistake it for a human, or even if it's like pre-recorded. 
Uh, and obviously, you don't have that problem with robots. I mean, no, nobody mistakes a robot for a human. Now, at least. <laughs> uh, so you don't have to tell them, like, I'm a robot, actually. I don't know. Have you seen the Terminator movies? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thankfully, we're not there yet. But we have these super sort of realistic-looking robots. If you look at them at, on a picture, uh, I won't mention any names, but with this uh, kind of rubbery skin, that looks very human-like if you see them on a picture. But once they start to move, they don't look very human-like. So there you have the problem that the appearance doesn't really match the uh, the movement or the behavior of the robot. You have sort of this super realistic appearance, and then you would expect these micro-movements and so on, micro-expressions, and you don't find that. So they look stiff and, and sort of smile in an awkward way and looks like a living dead or something. Whereas I think that in Furhat, what we are doing is a little bit to try to match the appearance with the behavior in the sense that, I mean, it's still human-like. It has a human face. But it's not like super realistic since it has this back projection and often the face is a bit cartoonish. And then the movement is actually quite sophisticated with micro movements and, and uh, gestures and lift movements and so on. So I think there is a better match in, in terms of appearance and behavior. More like if you watch a, a cartoon movie like Toy Story, it's not very creepy. And I think that's what makes Farhat not so unnerving. Of course, there are some people who think that still, but most of the times when I see people walking up to Farhat, they don't seem to have that reaction. And even if we, we try it with kids and so on, they, they seem to be very much attracted to the robot and wanting to walk up to it and, and interact with it and maybe touch it and so on. Actually, you're kind of hitting on my next question, which is really, how do people react when they first see it? And how have those reactions kind of informed what you're doing with the product? Yeah, so one reaction many have, many who have seen it on picture get sort of surprised when they see it in real life because it's an animated face again. So they maybe they would expect it to feel more like an animated agent. The physical appearance, the press, feeling of presence is a big difference. And But yeah, what, what I can say is that it's typically not a good idea to, to try to make it super photorealistic but something sort of more cartoonish, I would say. So what are some of the commercial applications of the Furhat social robot? What, what are some customers doing with it? Yeah, so we are, for example, developing a social robot for airports and train stations. So, so we've had it at Frankfurt Airport, we've had it in, in Tokyo, and soon, I think, Berlin train station. If you go into a train station or, or, or an airport, you might have questions like, is my flight delayed or, or where can I find the bathroom or, or is there Wi-Fi around here and so on. So then it's kind of like a service agent that you, you would find in these places. That's kind of a typical application. And you can imagine something similar in a, in a hotel reception, for example, checking in customers. But there are more sort of non typical applications. For example, we are working with a recruitment company in Stockholm developing a, a robot that can do interviews, the first stage in the recruitment process. The, their main motivation is to, to reduce bias in recruitment. So the idea being that the robot will behave the same way towards everyone. That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. I was trying to think about how somebody coming in for a job interview might react to that. It's an interesting uh, idea and in that it, you're right, it's not going to be biased. 
what we can do is to, to make sure that the robot doesn't have access to certain information that you typically might be biased against, yeah. uh, like ethnicity and gender and maybe weight and height and so on. So it will basically conduct the interview in the same way with everyone. And then that interview will result in a transcript that then a, a human recruiter ca can read and make an assessment without even seeing the candidate. Of course, again, I should stress that this is an early stage in the recruitment process. So, of course, eventually you will meet the candidate, but will not sort of filter them out very early based on these kind of bias. That's a fascinating use case. Do you predict social robots are going to become fairly ubiquitous at some point in time? I think so, definitely. I mean, I think that there are so many places where you are looking for service and you don't find it. I mean, if you walk into to a store and you want to ask someone a question or uh, you're waiting in line in order to get help, there are so many of these kinds of, of uh, situation where I, where I think a social robot uh, could be truly uh, helpful. Given the use cases you're talking about, do you ever encounter individuals who say, oh, you're, you're taking jobs away from, from humans and, and giving them to social robots? And if so, how do you deal with that? Uh, absolutely. That's, of course, a common reaction. And, and it's since the robot is human looking, that's even easier to, to make that conclusion. This sort of a, this human looking robot is going to take the job of a human. And we don't think that's the case. Again, we think that there are so many sort of places where you need more service than we can offer today. It's more about giving more service than replacing the service we have. Another example that we are working on is schools. It's not to make teachers unemployed. Uh, on the contrary, we could see the robot as a sort of a, a help. Maybe you can split up the, the, the students or, or, or the kids in different groups where they can practice with a robot, for example. We see it more as complementing uh, rather than replacing. No, I, I, I agree with that. What's your vision for social robots into the future and specifically for FurHat? We really want to become a platform for uh, social robotics where people can experiment different use cases that maybe we didn't think of even. And people are coming up with very interesting use cases uh, all the time, many more than we thought when we started the company. And, and we're, we're thinking a little bit like what Apple is doing in combining hardware and software to, to create the great user experience. That's what we want to do for social robots. So we are making both the hardware and the software uh, in order to create this sort of great user experience because that, that's what it's all about. Well, I have to say, I, I have seen face-to-face -face one of the Furhat robots, and I was amazed. Uh, it, was, it was amazing technology. This has been fantastic. I've learned so much. Very much appreciate you taking the time to participate in the conversation. Thank you very much for inviting me. Gabriel, thank you. The Furhat robot is something you have to see to believe. You can check out a video of the robot on our website, interactions.com. On the next episode of The Conversation, We'll learn more about voice interface design with Susa Jensen. She's a senior voice designer at Adobe. She's interested in how voice technology will change the way we interact with electronic devices and our screens. This episode of The Conversation was recorded at the PRX Podcast Garage in Alston, Massachusetts, and produced by Interactions, a Massachusetts-based conversational AI company. Well, that's uh, the end of today's conversation. I'm Jim Fries signing off. We'll see you next time.